the Casta TV podcast. Talking about the best and the worst on the box. It's the Custard TV podcast. A bit different though this time. This is a special edition. So if you're expecting all the usual chat about British television, you're going to get it. Of course you are. You know I wouldn't let you down. We're also going to get a different take on the subject of television and its impact at the moment. Because one of my pet peeves, one of the things that almost makes my blood boil is American dramas and American comedies. They're often formulaic, they're often over-the-top and over-dramatised, or they're just plain silly. And for this edition of the podcast, I spoke to Gary from website The Vulture Hound, who is an avid viewer of American television and has barely a bad word to say about them. So, as we go into this conversation which I recorded earlier, I want you to know that Although I think UK television is possibly the best in the world, I am willing to speak to somebody who has completely opposite views to mine. This is what happened when we first spoke. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because I am speaking today to my arch nemesis. Well, you should be my arch nemesis. <laughs> I don't have an arch nemesis. There is a vacancy going. Well, uh, if arch nemesis. Yes. There's no cape involved, Aww. but if you want to come in costume, we can organise it. They normally have, uh, like, a metal helmet, or am I just thinking of that bloke out of X-Men? I don't know. No, the reason I say you should be my arch-nemesis is because you are um, primarily interested in American television. I, maybe I should do by way of introduction. Hello, my name is Gary. Uh, I, I co... Do is that right? Co-produce. Let's let's make it fancy. I uh, love co-do. Co, 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 co <laughs> I did it at school as a younger child. Oh no, that was judo. Sorry. Uh, I I co-produce a podcast called the TV Drama Club with a friend of mine, yes. uh, and we talk about all things American that end up on British television. So that's as you say. I suppose is a counterpoint to your idea of everything that's on British television that's British. I don't think that everything on British television is fantastic and should be <clears> held up the best television in the world, but I, it does, because I don't know if you realise, I do live in the States right now, you are talking oh, to America. Do you know, I did not know that. And that is perhaps the reason why I wanted to talk to you. Yes. Because there you are, sat in, in the UK, mm. and here I am sat in the States, and we both care about places where we aren't. What, what you're saying to me, Sam, uh, Luke, is that really we should be changing lives. We should do like a cultural exchange. We've probably got the same size feet and everything. It's, it's, uh, we could probably organise that. We, we could probably so do something what, along those lines. What is it about American uh, television that particularly grabs you? Primarily, it's the production value. I think, if I was to say the biggest difference between British and American television is the amount of money and the amount of effort that goes into it by the Americans. That doesn't always well, equal quality, but I think, particularly now... There's been a, a period of time, probably since the end of 24, up until now, where American television has been the new film. Better actors are becoming involved in television. Better directors are becoming involved in television. You know, reference to the fact that Michael Mann has been directing episodes of Luck on HBO and that um, they've had various people involved. Who's that famous Italian one that did Raging Bull? And he did episodes of Boardwalk Empire as a director. Martin Scorsese. Do you know DeCampo? No, <laughs> 
I believe he wasn't involved in this one. He might have done the catering. Um, Martin, Martin Scorsese. Uh, and I think that's the thing, is that in, in Britain, my perception that you go into television to get into film. And that's how I've sort of seen British television, is that film actors go into film out of television. In America, the, the role has been reversed. All these big American film actors are coming into television. What is also interesting to me, listening to you speak with a great deal of passion about American television, is a lot of it, unless you have access or the money or the inclination to uh, add HBO or Showtime or one of those to your um, package on television, uh, then you are left with an awful lot of pants TV. What's great about the UK is you can get your HBO shows on Channel 4 yeah. on um, on things like that so uh, that is what the British perception is of American television is that they are churning out things of the quality of things like Luck and Boardwalk Empire and, and so they're missing out all the drudgery that doesn't quite stand up at all well I think the thing is is that the kind of the major networks in America your ABC NBC Fox CBS and there's another one ABC or whatever how I said that NBC um, they do produce a lot of good television let's let's not but of course a lot of what they produce is aimed at advertising is aimed at certain markets so I mean a show that I would put up as an example is Criminal Minds it, it follows a very specific genre, it has a big fan base, but is not going to get any new viewers in its sixth or seventh season, whatever it's in. You're watching that show now, and you've been watching it since series one. You're not going to start watching it next week. So no. they don't have to inv- innovate, they don't have to create new things. They know what they their, their audience likes, and they stick to it. Another one would be NCIS. It's in nine series. I absolutely love that programme, but it's a total, what, what we refer to on our podcast as a formula show. It has a formula, it sticks to it, it knows what it want, its audience wants, and, and that's it. But there's nothing wrong with that. But if there isn't that quality that perhaps, as you mentioned, that comes out of a Dexter or a Boardwalk Empire or a S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, or shows like that, or The Wire, that, that you know, you, you mentioned. I suppose that's my main irritant. Most people think American television can't do wrong uh, yeah. for, the, for the most part, and that irritates me. I, I know it shouldn't. I should have bigger things to worry about in life, but it does irritate me It's like me a global I mean, recession and the end of the world coming, Luke. I don't know why you're worried about television. Well, I'm hoping those two things may survive, um, both at the recession and the end of the world. They, they could, of course, be joined at the hip, you know, but uh, we'll, we'll move on from that. I'm Pol- sure even if television survives the end of the world, Last of the Summer Wine will still be on somewhere. <laughs> um, or, or The Walking Dead, is, which I suppose might be the American equivalent. Can you compare uh, things that I enjoy, like Silent Witness, for example, could you compare that to Criminal Minds? Do you think it's on the same level in your... I think the programmes have equally good writing. I think there is a deficit in the production values. British television can't help but having a budget feel. I mean, you go back to the Doctor Who's of the 60s or uh, or Torchwood that was on recently. You can't help escaping how the British have a kind of a more down-market feel. But actually, some of that does play into its charm. Are you aware with a programme that came out last year called The Shadow Line? Now, I want to talk about the shadow line, but I want to also hit myself with a brick. Because I had to come... Brick was just there. I was going to hit myself with something right. else, but Brick just happened to come. Fair enough. Um, 
I didn't see the shadow line, oh. and the reason I didn't see it was just completely by accident. I, it was on in the summer. Mm. I was moving a lot in the summer, and the shadow line just—I just missed it. It doesn't happen very often. And I, I, uh, if I die tomorrow, I will have died without seeing the shadow line, and that is one of the things that I regret. I, I would highly recommend it. Because the Shadow right. Line and another program that was on on the BBC over the summer last year called The Hour are just great examples the of hour was fantastic. yeah, great examples of things the British can do that the Americans can't. Americans outside of the wire cannot do slow programs. Everything has to be bang. A program like Hawaii Five O. Hawaii Five O is so fast in its pace and its style you can watch an episode in a blink I mean I do enjoy it I do like it but it's a show that it's, it's a pacey show The Shadow Line and The Hour were meandering they both went off on wild tangents and, and took you in places they told a story similar to as I say the, how The Wire did which was such a unique piece of American television but those are great examples of, of what you call quintessentially British. You know, one was about spies, one was about the Suez Crisis and, and the BBC. You can't do those in America. They don't have that kind of background of history for, for them well, to what, do it What on. do you think? I mean, if we're talking about just great... Because the BBC drama department, you have to admit, has, has stepped up a lot uh, oh, yeah. towards the end of last year and this year. I mean, Luther is coming oh. back. Luther is actually being co-produced by BBC America for the third series. Mm. And that that's actually done really well. You can buy that on DVD here. Luther is a is is a what you call a throwback to the days of the Sweeney, uh, and and things like that. It draws from that kind of violence that used to be on British television in the seventies and eighties. And Luther very much draw drew on on that kind of style of television. Um, and and again, I think up until things like The Walking Dead and uh, and, and shows like that, American television was never so edgy. But no. certainly in recent years, I mean, apart from Twin Peaks, which is, again, a very quirky, almost British style of drama, which was very much a one-off. But, you know, th- those kind of shows don't, don't, re- don't resonate well with Americans. I mean, Twin Peaks only lasted into its second series, and then they got bored of it. Would you agree, though, <clears throat> that British television characters like Luther and like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, uh, Cracker, for example... They just have a more realistic feel about mm. them. They feel like... Um, and I think a lot of that is to do with the way British television works with the one writer as opposed to a committee. Somebody told, uh, spoke yeah. to me once before and said, when you've got one writer, you're getting one person's opinion on something, whereas when you've got a committee of writer, you're getting nobody's opinion on Well, you, on If you nothing. look at the successful shows in America, and as I've mentioned, The Wire, a programme called Justified... Those are programmes that are done differently, where you're quite right, they have one writer-creator who writes consistently throughout the show. The Shield is another, Sons of Anarchy is another, where, yes, there might be a writer's room, but it's actually one person's vision, which is how it's done in England, as you say, where it yeah. is one person that creates it and writes it. They might get other people to help, but there's, against this writer's room... And, and let's face it, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm watching the final series of House at the moment... And it's like a clip show almost because they've gone nowhere with the plot for for a couple of series. And this eighth series, although it's quite nostalgic, it's going nowhere because they have to pump out twenty four of them. Well, that's that's another thing for me as well. I think that when a show like House becomes successful and they get a slot, House will be on in that slot mm. regardless of whether there's a new episode or not. Yeah. So you get stuck in a loop where you know. 
every Tuesday or Monday, House will be on. Regard. So there's not there's not a great deal of variety, which irritates me. For example, when Luther finishes, it's only sadly it's only four episodes uh, yeah. again this year. But when that happens, when that finishes, they're not going to go back and show a load of Luther repeats. Something new and exciting will be on. Hopefully after it, and that so does create do that kind of that. that does also create what I call that big fight mentality. British television to me is almost like the old big fight game, where the buzz in the UK around Sherlock, and I'm sure you had the same thing from your point of view yeah. when you were watching it. It, it was a television yeah. event. You parked yourself with your family in front of that television. You watched it. You talked about it. You tweeted it. You went to work the next day and you talked about it. When there's 24 episodes of something. What's the point in talking about it the next day? More does not always necessarily mean better. And also, of course, they go into what is uh, known in the American television trade as syndication, which yes. means they will go on yeah. uh, outside of their normal slot. You might find the Big Bang Theory on at six in the evening, mm. and then again at nine where the new episodes sit. So if you're not careful, you're flicking channels, seeing the same thing over and over again. I don't know whether an, Amer- uh, whether an English audience would quite put up with that. I mean, the closest you've got to that is is uh, what I call the new tricks safety tape, which is when the BBC think, we don't have anything to stick on on a Friday, but new tricks does really yep. well for us, so let's stick in the new tricks emergency tape yep. and have people singing, it's all Den- right, it's okay. Dennis Waterman can sing the theme tune, write the theme tune. I know. Uh, thank, yeah, you, thank, no. you, thank you, Little Britain. I, I would say that there are two major exceptions in America. And um, they they're, they're finished now, but they were two major exceptions where somebody very cleverly well, the three exceptions I'll go with three very cleverly said, okay, if we're going to have twenty four episodes or something, let's properly tell a story. One was twenty four, which when it came out was a genius idea. Somebody worked out, yeah, we make twenty four episodes. Oh, there's twenty four hours in a day. That is genius. The other two are Heroes and Prison Break, and they are shows that in their first season came out with a story arc that ran over 24 episodes, where you got a beginning, middle and end. And that, again, is a perfect use of the 24-episode genre. The problem is, when those shows got renewed and given second and third series, the writers hadn't planned out the story arcs as well. So they fitted back into, as we've mentioned, that kind of like... That, that very comfortable arc of, well, we'll just keep telling the same story, we'll come up with a new twist, but we won't actually go anywhere, we'll drop certain ideas. But the first series of Prison Break and Heroes are absolute genius because somebody has taken those ideas, taken that, that long-standing idea of 24 episodes and used it properly for one story arc. You know, will they get out of the prison? Will they get to Dealey Plaza, save the cheerleader, save the world? Somebody with a brain in America said, we've got to fill this time, let's really fill it. But do you think, I mean, it's sort of seen as cool to, to like things like Prison Break and, uh, and Heroes and things, but do, do you think there's a reason why BBC One wouldn't stick something like that on at nine o'clock? Well, he- Heroes did come to the BBC. The first series was shown on BBC yeah. Two at about that time. I know afterwards they butchered it a bit and moved it around the schedule, but I think, I think realistically what's happened in this country is, is that money, again has played a big part in how television schedulers. The BBC, because of the fact that it's you know, privately, you know, publicly owned, has to produce a certain amount of television mm-hmm. under that remit, which no channel in America has to do, apart from maybe PBS. No. And the BBC and ITV, and particularly ITV in, in recent years, just don't buy anything of American television. They, just, they, they haven't got the money to buy it, and it's cheaper for them to churn out 
you know, 20, 12 episodes of, as you say, what was it, New Tricks? I, I just don't know. I mean, Pan Am, which they BBC oh. they tried so hard to get people into that, and it just it didn't work. So I wonder whether they feel their fingers have been burnt a bit. Well, I uh, think I think they're trying. Well, they yeah. were con- they were trying to find a replacement for Mad Men. Uh, Mad Men um, was a was a big hit for BBC Four, which is is very much a cool channel over here. It shows a lot of the Danish dramas, which I really do like. Things yeah. like The Killing and Borgen, uh, and a new one coming out called The Bridge, which I heartily recommend uh, if you can stand subtitled shows. And Mad Men was a big hit both in America and in the UK. But of course, what's happened is a cable channel flashed the cash and and bought it. So I think what the BBC was trying to do with Pan Am was find out if a show could be like Mad Men in its style and its sophistication and hopefully it would cake off. But of course the ratings in America plummeted. Uh, the BBC then butchered it in the schedule and put double episodes back to back almost once a week or twice a week. Yeah. And how do you grow was, an audience It was a like strange that? idea to schedule. It was a strange yeah. idea nope. to schedule two. I don't know whether they were thinking there's a lot of episodes we've got to get through them. Well I so think they knew it had been cancelled. I think they knew it had been canned, and therefore they just thought, well, we might as well keep it and put it on, but let's rush through it. Well, I think I think uh, American television schedulers do do run a certain way, as you say. I, I I don't know exactly. Maybe you can help me with this bit. But you do have the bigger shows are thrown on a Thursday night, and there is something obviously Saturday night is a big sports night. So that and then Sundays is a big sports night as well. So big shows. Saturday will get nights shown. always fascinated me because Saturday night, of course, growing up, I grew up on things like Noel's House. Yeah. Party. And things like that. And Saturday night was always quite a big night. Saturday night on American television, it doesn't really have, yeah. there's no impact there. It's Something ridiculous. like the X Factor, which would just be ITV golden on a, on a Saturday night, would never get shown on a Saturday night when it was on, on Fox. Yeah. Is it cool to like America? Do you think that's what it is? Do you think a lot of it is people think it's cool to like uh... American television? I, I'm not sure I do because I think probably it's actually cooler now to like British television because of things like Sherlock and Doctor Who and Downton Abbey, you know, particularly winning awards in America, you know, getting that recognition worldwide. I think British television has come on as the cool thing. I think American television, because of the, the saturation over here and the choice, I, I think American television is more the norm. And I think the British yeah. programmes are the niche ones, are the cool ones. Well, it, it interests me that uh, last year with things like The Shadow Line, and there was a thing last year with John Sim called Exile, yeah. um, which was brilliant. And it interests me, though, that the BBC had seemed to make a, a firm stance uh, to start every ad or every drama like that with the tagline, Original British Drama. Yep. We did a whole thing on our podcast about this, and actually there was a, a wonderful trailer that had things like Luther, The Shadow Line, The Hour, and there was there was one about uh, a butterfly or something. I can't remember what that was. The the Pearl and the Butterfly or something like that. It was about six shows. Uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the Crimson Petal That's and White. It. That's it. Do you do crosswords? Because my cryptic clue didn't really give that away. Uh, um, but yeah, they, they, they made think... the firm stance to, mm. to, to make that shine as original British drama, and I wondered whether that was in a way to say look this is what we're making hmm. everybody seems to be raving about things like heroes and madmen house and prison break and 
things but like I, that. I think I think all UK television has upped its game. I, mean, I think ITV. We talked about you know, obviously Downton Abbey. We talk about films like things like Scott and Bailey. They did a wonderful, and I don't know whether you called it a prequel to the Moore series called Endeavour, which Endeavor. is very good. And, and wow. I'm really hoping. I know they're making a series out of that, and a program called DCI Banks, which I that really like. I spoke to Andrea Lowe, who was in that. Oh, right. She just she just thought you know that they had made something really uh, really different in the crime genre, and actually it was DCI Banks with uh, ITV and BBC. They do pride themselves on crime drama, and mm. DCI Banks did stand out for me last year as as one of my favourites. I mean, I think they I, messed, they, I think they messed up the last double header a little bit. If a British drama doesn't have that storyline, in America you get 24 episodes, and as I said to you, that can sometimes be a curse and a blessing, because in 24 episodes, you can have your rubbish, but when you've only got six, everything's got to be quality. The idea was that we debate with you um, about the the good and bad of of American television, and what I found, it's no fault of your own, but what I found I was doing was going... Yes, Gary. No, Gary. Three bags full, Gary. And not actually um, putting my point across as eloquently or as strongly as I wanted to. And when I finished that part of the podcast, I was looking over my DVDs. I was looking over the listings. And so I now have a sort of a better outline of what I want to grill you with. And what I, you're saying to me there, Luke, is that I run, I won round one, and what you've you gone away and done one. is you. I won round one, and what you're saying is you've gone away and you've done some research, and you think you're ready to step up again. So this is this is kind of my my slideshow, my PowerPoint presentation, if you would. If you could take a seat and watch yep. me go through the slides. Could, because could you tell me where the fire exits are first, and is there any well, coffee? I, I am this doing is a proper, the, no? what? I am doing the motions for. They are here, here, and here. Right, and I, lovely. I'm aware I'm doing the motions, even though you can't see me, I can't see you, <laughs> and nobody that will listen to this will ever see either of us. Right. One of the things you said at the top was that um, you enjoy the slickness of and the fast pace of American drama. That's what draws you to it. Uh, but I would disagree with that. And I would say that actually because of the slickness and the fast pace of a piece, it, it immediately loses its believability. Let's focus it, on one thing that you said there, believability. Yeah, please, because that's what I feel... The majority, and I'm not, po- I'm not pointing fingers at everything, but the majority of American drama, American comedy, presents an image to the world of American society, uh, what it would like to portray, but it isn't necessarily believable. Everybody's a little bit too slick, everybody's a little too perfect-looking, and okay. uh, I'm not saying that I, everybody, I... I want everybody to look like Doc Cotton, and, uh, <laughs> you know... Fair enough, no, that's, a, that's a good but, point. But then yeah. I would say to you, all right, why do you watch television? Why does the average Joe or the average John Smith watch television? I think you watch to be taken somewhere that you wouldn't necessarily get in real life. Television is not real life. Otherwise, we'd all be watching docu-soaps and, mm-hmm. and reality shows, and we all know that they're, 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 they're passe now anyway. But 
television drama is there to take you somewhere to suspend your belief turn off the, the doldrums of your life and so enter a saying, fantasy world. You're saying escapism is, is yeah. the main... Yeah. I can sort of agree with that. And, and sometimes it is nice to shut the world away and escape. But also, do you not watch it from, from the second perspective, which is that you, you want to get a window onto a world that you wouldn't normally see? Yeah, I would agree that the Brits do that better. I would agree that when it comes to gr- what you would call gritty, realistic drama, that... America shies away from showing that because it doesn't sell, whereas the British excel in it because, it, it, as you say, it captures that corner of the market that makes people go, yeah, I can relate to that. That's my life. That I've been through that. Whether you want to escapist or, or believability, something I've noticed, particularly living in, in, a, in the States and watching the programmes, here it doesn't feel like you get comedy in drama and drama in comedy. A good example of that would be, in the UK, David Brent. We always took him um, from the office not very seriously, but then there was sort of a, a very heartbreaking and upsetting scene where he, uh, where he drops his facade, if you like, and sort of begs for his job back. You see his world fall apart. You see things like that. There was a miscarriage scene that stands out in Only Fools and Horses where somebody is a very serious issue with somebody losing a baby and then... And then back to laughter again. They can tackle that in a way that I don't know whether American TV or American drama or comedy perhaps manages. Well, I'll give you that. that, uh, And I would agree that American comedy is is very much that style of the canned laughter or, or, you know, the more kind of like Kirby enthusiasm, which is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable rather than than sympathetic. And that, yeah, British comedy has got a huge, you know, I mean, things like, uh, you know, the end of Blackadder goes forth. I mean, not yes. a dry eye in the house, but yet that program was never designed to make you do that. It was designed to make you laugh. And what happens in American sitcoms is you get, you know, you get the setup, you get the can laughter, and you get the sort of interchangeable characters. And if if you didn't know the title of the show, it could be just about anything. You, you have hits like Friends and uh, the Big Bang Theory and stuff like that. But the majority of it is stick a couple of people in a room, put a sofa there. To, put them to work somewhere, put some laughter in, film it in front of a studio audience, get gags out as quick as you can. Friends and, probably came as close as any. Yes. It had a couple of storylines, um, the, 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 the Ross and Rachel storyline occasionally, and then towards the very end, the Monica and Chandler baby story. Um, I don't think it captured emotion overly well. No, but it, it definitely tried to go in a different direction. It tried to say, we're not going to end on a gag, we're going to fade to black in a situation that maybe is, is more realistic to people that are watching the show. You know, that mm. show, Friends grew up, you know, it, 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 its audience grew up with it. One thing I would say, to, to sort of counter what you're saying, yes, British British comedy does pathos very well. American drama does it just as well. I would bring before you the West Wing, and I would say to you that there are scenes in the West Wing which bring a lump to my throat every time I see them. Um, certainly, the scene uh, there's a wonderful scene after Josh, uh, one of the lead characters, gets um, sh- he gets shot. Yeah, he gets shot, doesn't he? Uh, at the attempted assassination of the president. There's a wonderful scene where he gets therapy. And right at the end of it, um, he comes out of the therapy and his boss um, says to him, you know, you got a job, I got a job, you got a job. You know, and it just, you know, when you watch that whole episode, it's just like, oh, yeah, that gets me. 
you know that uh, that kind of respect and, and and love of a colleague there. You know, you I got a job, you got a job. It gets me every time. Uh, One foot in the grave was remade yes. in America. That to, the the treatment of that taught me a lot about the control that the networks have. Because for anybody who wasn't sure or wasn't aware that One Foot in the Grave was, was remade for an American audience, what happened to that is that Bill Cosby took the role as uh, yes. as uh, Victor Meldrew, originally played, of course, by Richard Wilson. The only similarity to um, One Foot in the Grave was the fact that he wore a green cap. Oh, really? Because the show was not titled One Foot in the Grave or anywhere close to that. Do you have any idea what the show was called? <sighs> I've heard it before, but I can't remember it at the moment. So well, do, you've, just do heard it, you've just heard it now. So it was called Cosby. Oh, yes. And I, I think that networks have too much control over things. And that's why sometimes good ideas like One Foot in the Grave or, or maybe even perhaps to a lesser extent Coupling, which lasted a couple of episodes and then was dumped in the States... I think they try too hard to turn it into mm. that average sitcom again. But, but I mean, mo- moving away from, from comedy and drama, because you're absolutely right, what, what somebody finds funny and what somebody finds emotional is, is never going to sync up for everybody, otherwise there'd be only a couple of TV shows that we'd all watch and enjoy. Yep. So why do you think, and, and I was what, the reason this comes up is because I was actually watching something last night that made me think of it. What I love about British TV and what you should be incredibly proud of if you live in the UK and you have Gary's view that American TV is better and the grass is greener, even if you don't like the shows I'm about to mention, they are things that you would never even get the opportunity to even ignore if you lived in other places. These are things... Uh, that I call single documentaries or non-scripted shows. These are things that that the UK does incredibly well. Inside Nature's Giant, which is an animal dissection series on Channel 4, would just never make it to to an American network. Earth Flight, which was a series that followed birds around and gave the viewer the uh, bird's eye view, so to speak. And perhaps a great uh, another one of this is QI, which is huge and would, again, never get picked up by an American... I don't think the Americans have ever really embraced the panel show. You know, Have I Got News For You, Never Mind The Buzzcocks, QI, all these shows that that draw on British stand-up comedians and British comedy actors to come on and basically be funny whilst talking about whether it be music or film or sport or topical news and, and draw on that. I, I think a lot of Americans have done well on those shows. I, I, I think particularly of an American comic called Reginald D. Hunter, who, who's brilliant whenever he comes on. I actually watched a Have I Got News For You with him on recently. And he's excellent to watch. He's dry and almost British in his style, but with a wonderful American accent that's just you know, poured out of him. I'm just trying to get across the variety that you do mm. get and that you should be proud of. And, and again, I, I think I feel that American audiences, or that American networks, not the audiences, but American networks, tend to uh, talk down to the viewer. They tend to think they know what the viewer will like, and they keep churning it out. Things like Stargazing Live with Brian Cox, which was but a surprise pro- hit for BBC Two, and Frozen Planet and Horizon would, mm. would probably interest an American audience, but they'd never be given the opportunity to see it, because the networks don't, and don't think that American audiences would watch it. 
Well, I'll, I'll give you the main reason. We, we discussed it earlier. The BBC, which most of the shows that you mentioned are on, are, mm-hmm. are not uh, funded by uh, advertising. There's no. no advertising on the BBC, something which I know American audiences might gulp at. And, and, and it allows them to be very diverse. It also means they are budgetly restricted, which means shows like uh, Birdwatch and Countryfile and, and programs like that, which do do serve a purpose very well, are almost a niche program. They, they serve a certain section of the country or a certain section of the population. Things which are almost niche markets, which, as you say, advertisers would never buy into. But American also, think, audiences wouldn't that, have that. But I don't think that's down to the, the fault of the audience. I'm not by any means tiring every American with the brush and saying they wouldn't understand this, they wouldn't get this. I'm, I'm saying that actually the, the networks wouldn't take a risk. They, they, they know sitcoms do well, they know crime drama does well. Let's churn out more of them than, than putting something new, interesting mm. and informative on. It's not that there isn't that hunger for something new. But, and what tires me is that networks will never, unless it works brilliantly somewhere else and they take the idea, I mean, Strictly Come Dancing became Dancing with the Stars. I'd have put money yeah. on that not working at all. They don't have ballroom dancing, but I suppose it's the celebrity element that helps that work. But, 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 but again, most of that show is driven by the British judges, you know, Bruno Tognoli and Len, Len Goodman. Those are really the stars of the show, along with the stars that dance. Mm, yeah. You know, they love all that Britishness. You know, how the Americans have embraced Simon Cowell as one of his own, one of, our, one of their own, and how now really he's, he's taken the British style over to America and he's now reversing that trend. He's now bringing more of the Americanizing. You know, rumors today that Britney Spears is going to be the new X Factor judge. She might whip out that snake again mightn't she you know out of uh, Toxic or whatever that song was called I, I'm, I know the answer to what that song was called but I'm not going to tell you because it says Fine, more about me it says more about me than it does about you you only know it's got a snake in um, yep <laughs> we'll leave that there uh, but, but my, my other point as far as not taking risks is that what tends to happen on American networks and another thing that irritates me and I am watching my blood pressure go up and down when something becomes a hit in America they run with it you know and and shows tend to overrun I want to bring The Office up again Ricky Gervais Stephen Merchant whether you like them or whether you don't they had a a vision with The Office they they did exactly what they wanted to do with it finished it and moved on to something else and the American version of The Office, again, hugely successful, but it will die a slow death or be axed. Yeah. It won't, it hear, won't have a beginning, that, middle and end. Did I hear that Catherine Tate is joining the American version She's of The Office? Or was that just a rumour? She's actually on it now. How, how on earth does that work? I'm sorry, but she almost killed Doctor Who. Is she now trying to do that in America? I mean, oh, so... Am I bothered, though, really? Well, That's my sort of view it does, on it. Does, does this Skype face look bothered? Uh, <laughs> allow, allow me to, 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 to sort of bring up to your point. I do agree that Americans oversaturate something when it works. When they, when they know that when they've got a cash cow, let's call it that, they yeah. flog it. And British audiences and British performers know when to put things down. Now, okay, there are times when there are some British performers who don't. But there are some that say, okay, I've done that, I need to move on. I the think... office had the beginning, middle and the end, and it, it felt like it had a story to tell. And often the purpose of an American show is to just 
you know, bring the same characters mm. back, keep doing what works, but not necessarily tell that story. I think that touches on what you were saying. In 24 episodes, you can have a lot of stinkers. But also, it's very easy not to have story arcs and a beginning, middle and an end. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think that goes something again to the argument that you rose yesterday, raised yesterday about writers' teams versus a, a writer, where a writer will have a beginning, middle, and end in their head, whereas a writing team are just told, right, well, you need to get through the next ten episodes, and and different people will come up with different ideas and ways of doing things, which won't necessarily gel together all the time. Uh, when it works, when a writer's room works, I think it can make a show. Uh, very good, you know. A writer's room d- created Prison Break. We'll go back to that. A writer's room created uh, Heroes. You know, the, those are those are success stories of those types of genre. But there's not as many of them as there is in is, is in Britain, as we talked about earlier, and said. There's a lot of you know single writer shows that just you know are, are a tour de force. We could have saved ourselves a lot of time and not done this podcast, and instead just streamed oh, right, an episode. Okay. Well, no, and, and instead just streamed an episode of a, of a series that was on last year, and we'll be back later this year, called Episodes. Tams and Greg and Stephen Mangan of Green Wing, they wrote a successful British sitcom that then came over to America and was changed beyond belief with Matt LeBlanc of Friends in the lead role. And that sort of winked at... American broadcasters have sort of said, "This is what we do. This is we we change it to fit a certain mould." And what happened with that was, of course, that it didn't reflect in any way the show that everybody claimed to love. And the I only problem with that that I found, I, I appreciated the parody. I liked the wit and the sarcasm. I just felt the actual show episodes just wasn't didn't work. It wasn't funny enough. Didn't didn't interest me enough you know i like the premise i like the idea but when i got to it there was something missing yeah i I can't can't put my finger on it there was something missing Um, we should probably have some time really discussing these kind of collaborations and 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 one that sticks in my mind that that was a a very big shame was the torchwood that came out last year which was a cross promotion between the bbc and an american network called stars now Stars, how can I describe stars? It's, it's the daily sport version of television channels. It, it's, it's very brilliant. much. I know. Brilliant. For those that get that reference, it is the lowest common denominator of television. It but is. You pay for it. You do, it is a pay service. It, it it's is a pay HBO's service. annoying little brother with yeah. snot running down his nose and, um. And possibly, and a, possibly a gun. I don't know. Um. <laughs> And what they did with Torchwood was they turned it into the worst kind of badly made American spy show. And it was, it was almost like somebody had said, let's make a parody of it. Yeah, and, and the first episode was kind of this kind of like background to Torchwood. So, you know, for you Brit fans, for American fans to get into it, for you Brit fans to feel like you, you own it. And then after that, it just turned into the, you know, as I say, a, a very bad series of episodes of, of like 24 or Alias or something like that, where the plot went nowhere, the characters were unbelievable. And I'm surprised that the Americans understood a word that Welsh woman said, because I don't get half a word of it. When they sat down at that initial meeting, I think they probably had good intentions, but it was just the execution of it and the, mm. and everything else that wrecked it right from the word go. Now, um, a, a lot of Torchwood fans will tell you, you know, a lot of diehard Torchwood fans will tell you, oh, it was awful, but a lot of other fans will tell you, well, it never would have got made without them. And they're quite right. The BBC had probably, you know, done it. Which would, they did a, a, a five-day series last year called Children of Earth. Mm-hmm. 
um, which ran five consecutive nights on the BBC, something they do quite well every so often. It was probably the pinnacle of Torchwood, you know, as good as it could get on BBC One, prime time, and really after, and it kind of almost ended the series, you know, everybody dispersed at the end, and that was the end of it. And really, the BBC weren't going to make any more until Stars stepped in and said, we'd like to buy the concept. And then Russell T. Davis said, well, if you do, then we want some say in it, because we don't want to just give it to you lock, stock and barrel. Yes. Um, and, and, and realistically, the same thing is happening. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but oh, I've heard very vicious rumours that, um, that the Americans are making Sherlock. and they they've are, cast, and they're called it Elementary. And they're casting Lucy Liu as Watson. Well, let's talk then about today's news that Only Fools and Horses is being remade with, well, with, with John Leguizamo, who I know from Ice Age. That's about the only reason I know him. And John Leguizamo was very good in a, in a, in a, in a British, an American series. Oh, what was it called? Um, there was a, it was only about six episodes. It was on the USA Network, isn't it? It was about a bank heist. Um, vantage, not vantage point, or something like that, and he was very, very good in that as one of the one of the kidnappers. Well, he's one playing bank- Del Boy. Oh this, dear! This is the bit that makes me. La- this is the only laugh. This, if it if it makes it onto screen, because more often than not, these things won't. But this is the best part that I read today, and I've tweeted about. If you want to tweet back, mm. feel free. They have Trigger, who, of course, if you're only Fools and Horses fan, you'll know Trigger's purpose. You'll know him as a character. You'll know why he's there. You'll know All right. what to expect. All right, Dave. Yeah, they have turned Trigger into a sort of gangster con man. So to me, when I look at the Only Fools and Horses plot outline, it's almost like an episode of stuff more like Starsky and Hutch, and and Trigger has been turned into Huggy Bear. And that's I, what they've done. They're, they're, to I me, mean, to me, if you television and go, what's good for taking? You must have been watching a lot of UK Gold if you think Only Fools and Horses was worth recreating in America. There is, I mean, I know I don't want to talk about Only Fools and Horses for too long, although it's one no. of my favourite things. But I know it does incredibly well. There's a Portuguese version that does incredibly yeah. well. But, but you just, see, I how long ago a, was that Portuguese version made? Well, I bet you it's not recent. Yeah, exactly. Not recent. And... I understand that they want to, American would like to recreate something that's been such a big hit in the UK, but the only reason it was such a big hit in the UK was David Jason, Nicholas Lyndhurst, the writer, and the premise was typically British. You know, uh, why why try and, and remake that? And that actually brings up the next point. Why remake something rather than, why not, why wouldn't, well, okay. NBC show Sherlock? In in, a, in a, cut it down, fit the ads in. They could probably lose ten, fifteen minutes if they had to. Why not? I mean, Australia is a good example. They get a nice mix of their own homegrown drama. They get UK drama and comedy. They get American drama and comedy, and it's just seen as one big television melting pot. So why why would the Americans decide? Do you think to remake something rather than just show it? I believe there is some merit in taking an idea and, re- and re- reinventing it. But if something works somewhere, and I'm not saying it will work everywhere, but for mm-hmm. Luther, we, we, we all, everybody seems to love Luther. Why not yeah. show Luther on NBC or ABC well, I think, or Fox? I think the problem with that is that Luther translates well to a major American network. It does get done on BBC America, which I think is more the appropriate channel for that kind of thing. 
I, I think it goes back to the fact, and there are some remakes, I mean, they haven't really worked. The Americans did actually do a, a pilot of Prime Suspect, but it oh. bombed in America. Well, the, I think the reason it bombed was, how, where was the... Why, why call it... That could have been called anything. Why call it Prime yeah. Suspect? The only I similarity was Jane Tennyson was her name. Mm. That was about it. There was nothing else. I, I saw the uh, the trailer at the Upfronts last year. We did a whole feature on the Upfronts for our podcast. Yeah. And when we looked at it, we thought the prime suspect was pretty much a winner. We looked at it and thought, yeah, this could work. You know, that kind of sexism in the in the workplace that happened at police forces, that whole idea that she was leading a force. It worked very well in an American series called The Closer. So we thought, yeah, you know, which is a, a cable network program. We thought, yeah, bring that to a, 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 in a big American audience and we think it could work. But instead, the Americans really just didn't get it, and, and, and it got it bombed pretty quick. Where do you stand on censorship? Where do the, I stand on censorship? Okay. Because... because um, oh, this is a the, big, that's a big here subject. Here we go. Well, I, I want to be finished in under an hour. Uh, All right. But yeah, okay. The, the nine o'clock watershed, whether you agree with it or whether you don't, and what gets shown after that 9pm watershed, it serves its purpose. And uh, American um, networks don't have that. Everything is, is, is. I mean, they wouldn't recommend that kids watch Criminal Minds and things, but they could, I suppose, if you know they had access to such a thing. And then there's things like HBO, which you paid for, which allows a little bit more leeway on, you know, bad language, sex scenes, things like that. Um, a good example of this would be Shameless which was only mm. on at 10 o'clock on Channel 4. The first series of Shameless in the UK was just incredible, I thought. I just, I was just blown away by it because it was just so unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Appropriate Adult last year on ITV, which, which was about Fred and Rose West, was just gave me, just made me feel brilliantly uncomfortable in the nicest way possible. And I was just gripped right from the word go. And do you feel like American TV is held back by its lack of 9pm watershed and the fact that it can't be as gritty as perhaps sometimes it wants to be. I, I think until the, the the introduction of HBO, I would agree. I think certainly 80s American television was 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 slightly more safe and bland in that area. You know, there, there was no mention of, uh, uh, of swear words, there's no nudity. And then with the invention of cable television, shows like Dexter, shows like Mad Men, Californication, uh, The Wire, and, and what it does is that that kind of allows you to to be if you want if you are into that realistic style of drama then then you get your cable network and you get your fill that way mm. and i think there's definitely a room for that and and i think some of the best american drama that's been of the last 5 to 10 years you know things like the sopranos and the wire as we mentioned are these kind of very realistic where you know if you if you censor the sopranos well, what's, what's left, left? yeah what's left and I, I think very much that American drama was saved by the cable networks a little bit. And it's probably led the, the networks to be a little bit more... There are shows that push those boundaries a little bit more. Programs like Cougar Town, which I know is, is more of a comedy, but you know that, 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 certainly that would never have got made ten years ago. Um, programs like Weeds, I know again that's a cable network channel, but that's a program about, about drug dealing. Uh, the, the fantastic Breaking Bad... These programs would not have been made 10 years ago in America. Americans have kind of realized that there is room for that, that, that gritty 
real harder style of drama. Well, I don't know. Did you ever see a thing called The Lakes? Yes, uh, John Sim. John Sim, Jimmy McGovern, mm. uh, and it was about this. I mean, I just I could watch that was from '97, and mm. I could watch that now and and still feel like it stands up. But it and but you watch it again, and you think, God, there's a lot of sex scenes in this, and God, there's a lot of yeah things. And and that was you know prime time BBC One in 1997. That's just something you wouldn't have seen here if if I lived here in that period. And it's going back special. even further. A, a big show in the UK was called This Life, and that yes. was full of you know full of realistic drama and uh, uh, you know drug use and partying and alcohol and sex and violence. Uh, and that was a huge hit on BBC Two, and uh, and people look back on that series with a lot of fondness. Um, that never would have got made in America. No way no. that there's a, an audience for that kind of program. But, no, I, um, I, I agree completely. I, I think that we're we're two countries divided by a not so common language. Yeah. Um, and that that will always stand in the way. I think. And, and that and that's where I think the watershed comes into America. There's not a watershed, there's a channel shed. The only TV podcast with the custard in the title. I think. Yep, it's the custard TV podcast. Uh, just just quickly, we talked about Pan Am bombing terribly. Yep. And um, and IT, and BBC One and ITV trying to put American drama on their schedules in prime time another one that mm. sprung to mind when I thought about this a bit deeper was Pushing Daisies a few years ago which ITV scheduled oh, on a Saturday night gosh. are they just picking the wrong things or do you think that just as much as I we, we well, talk about this there isn't a great deal of, of uh, ITV and BBC One viewers wouldn't really they want to watch British drama and homegrown stuff really or are they just picking the wrong material let, let me give you the background on this one the reason being that this has been messed up for a lot of people is ITV saw the success of the X-Files on BBC. And what they did was they bought the very dark, very dangerous, very uh, very dodgy Millennium, which was made by Chris Carter after the X-Files, which dealt with a gentleman who got inside the mind of serial killers. And they put it on at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, and it received record complaints. It's a very dark show. It was very grisly. You saw the murders. You saw them catching the killer. And it's almost a pre-runner of Criminal Minds, but a lot darker. And ITV got terribly lots of complaints for bringing this over here. Channel 4 then invested and saw the, 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 the popularity of Buffy the Vampire Slayer it, and bought the very darker, much more deadly Angel and tried to put it on at 6 o'clock of an evening. And again, mm. lots of complaints and you know huge loss of viewers because they had to cut so much of the episodes out and up. Mm. And really... Channel ITV have never recovered from that. Pushing Daisies was a small drop in the ocean that they've done. They've never brought an American television program over. And actually, ITV in the 80s used to be the home of you know the American programs. You know, the Bay A-Team, Watch, Airwolf, Baywatch, Bay yeah, Knight Rider, Street Hawk, were all on ITV at that kind of 5 o'clock Saturday tea time program. I think people saw those. They didn't take those particular so seriously. I think they were more tongue-in-cheek and people watched them. But it worked. I mean, I grew up, you grew up on those. I mean, people of my, people of my age grew up on those programs. You know, we, we sat down every Saturday night. Well, that's right. <laughs> where am I now? Lettering <laughs> away on a podcast. We know where the, where the wrong turn came from now. 
too much Baywatch can, A-Team and... It can be very therapeutic doing podcasting, as we just learned. You just, uh, it's cheaper than counselling. Whom do I, whom do I send the invoice to for your billing at the end of this, Luke? You know, where do well, I, where do I, where do I make the checkout to? I will, uh, I'll put all the information in the, the information in an email to you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and also, Sky One is is venturing more into making its own drama and comedy. Yes. Is that a decision? Do you think because they want to step away a bit from from just being a I think that's that's how television channels... I think it's just how television channels evolve. Sky has built its television audience up by buying the biggest and best of America. You know, it bought Lost, it bought House, it bought Prison Break from various UK channels, and it bought 24 from the BBC, Glee. And and, and that's a tactic, you know, and that makes people get out there, and it makes people go and... um, uh, it makes people go and uh, uh, and buy a Sky Dish and, and get cable channels over here. I think Sky One will produce some good drama to come. I know they do some they do some big Christmas blockbusters. They've done Treasure Island and a Terry Pratchett story uh, mm-hmm. that was written specially for Sky, and they put a lot of money and a lot of big names go on that. Uh, yeah. But I'm hoping that Sky will eventually produce a really good, um, critically acclaimed and successful drama quite soon. I don't know where it's going to come from. sort of on the right track with Mad Dogs. And, I mean, if you'd have asked yeah. me five years ago, would I be wanting to watch a Sky One drama? I'd say no. no. So they've, and, they've gone in the right direction. And actually, one of their dramas, called Strike Force, has or now Strike been taken... Strike Back, sorry, has been now taken up by an American network. But and he's going to be shown over there. But that's um, very... It's a very American in its style. It's very explosions and... Yeah. And, and but, I so. think, but I think it, it draws very much... It's more of, you know, very much like spooks and stuff like that. Although more of a sort of gritty army drama. But I think it will eventually... That they will produce a show that will be commercially viable and will be something that, you know, you'll then know Sky One for. This, this is the Custard TV Podcast. So... Having spoken about our loves, dislikes, likes, and disagreements, if you were mm-hmm. chucked out of your house tomorrow and you were told you had to go somewhere where you wouldn't have regular access to the television and you had to rely on your DVD collection, would you take main, uh, mainly American DVDs with you or would you take British DVDs with you? I'm sorry to say, and I know, I know this will cause some hardy derision amongst our British fans, but the Brit, the Brit... Is going to take Americans. I'm going to take mm. my. I'm looking. I'm taking my West Wing complete series. Mm. I'm taking my nine series of Seinfeld. I'm taking my four series of Alias. I'm taking my twenty-four box set. I'm taking my house box set. I'm. I'm sorry, but the you know when I get kicked out, those are going with me. Right. I, not much Brit stuff is going to get a run through. I'm afraid. I'm definitely very much more the fan of the American drama. Not so much the comedy, although some comedies are very good, but very much more fan of American drama than British drama as what a whole. Would have, what would have to change then? On, on, what, would have, what would have to change for you to go, do you know what, actually I, I don't enjoy it, I don't look forward to this as much as, as I did? If, if they stop coming out with good ideas, let me, let me bring our, our, our session to a close by, by pointing our good viewers in, in, in front of something coming up. There's a television program airing in America now coming to the UK soon called Awake. Uh, stars a British actor. Um, Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs. 
and uh, written by by people who have good credentials and producers who've worked on good shows before about a, a bloke who suffers a serious car accident and goes into a multiple personality disorder where in one part of his life he believes that his son died and in another part of his life he believes that his wife died and you have no idea what's reality and what's fake and in both worlds he's a police officer in both worlds he's seeing a psychiatrist and and the show has a wonderful concept and that concept alone the fact that somebody's come up with that idea and is putting that onto screen and with enough money can do it right just makes me want to watch it that whole concept brings me in and then to to sort of counter that um fans of lost will be hearing the fact that there's a television program called alcatraz where oh please right we, no but the, to... i no the show might not be good but the concept the fact that all the people from alcatraz time into the future yeah but how can that work how can you how can can't that work, really... but that's the point is that come on it's not supposed to be reality good television is supposed to take you somewhere what is Doctor Who? Doctor Who's not reality. I know Spooks not isn't reality. reality. No, but I, I, I do. I, I, I'm not. I'm not stupid enough to know that. that yeah, okay. Alcatraz is not going to be everybody's cup of tea. I, I, no. I do know that, that. That that sometimes those concepts. But is I want people to be keeping coming up with good ideas that I myself couldn't come up with, and I find that, that happens more regularly on American television than British television for me. I think we're going to call it a day there, but I think we've got an awful lot of things still to talk about. So if you're up for more, definitely let's do more. And I know uh, the world will be as a as a general consensus. I know the world will be well, crying out for more. If for some reason the the world goes topsy turvy and they want and people want to speak to you rather than me, how do they get in right. touch with you and agree or disagree with the points you've made? Well, firstly, my window is always open. If you wish to send a carrier pigeon, then secondly, a more traditional method, I'm on um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, search the TV Drama Club on Facebook. That's the name of our podcast, which you can also search on iTunes. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter name is the underscore Gary underscore Show. Uh, very vain, uh, and but you know, when you've got five hundred more more than five hundred followers, you can afford to be vain. Luke. Um, uh, and, and obviously, uh, uh, my work that I do via Vulturehound, which is an online magazine, www.vulturehound.com, uh, there's various contact details on their website as well if you are all interested in contributing or just reading what rambling stuff I put up. And if you, have, if you are listening to this and you have any genuine questions for either of us or you have some points that you'd like to raise... Uh, that either side in my corner or side in Gary's corner, or can see the, the different points of view, but are, but are a neutral party. Perhaps you like certain American shows, but not others. Perhaps you don't like any uh, British drama at all, and will only ever watch American stuff. Tell us why, and we'll get, we'll read it out if we get enough information from you in the next podcast. I would be genuinely interested to hear which side most people tend to fall on nowadays in the world of choice that we have at all our fingertips now. And, and I think we can both, both end on this point, and I, I will end the call at the end of this because I'm sure it'll be contentious, but I believe round two went to me. You can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening and thanks for spending time with us and uh, hopefully we'll be doing it again. And if round two did go to him, then I'm bringing my A-game to use an American phrase, damn it. Um, 
for round three. That leaves round say. three to me. Right, okay. Luke, thank you very much. Thank you. The Custard TV Podcast.